Holy shit, I got it. I got it to work. Cool. <laughs> Alright, I cannot see your video just to let you know. No, that's fine. It, it'll be, uh, it'll be better for the internet connection. So then we don't have any lags or whatever. Do you need to see mine? What's up? Do you need to see mine? I just miss your face, man. God. Oh. <laughs> Be that way. <laughs> I mean, you can look at a picture. <laughs> I haven't changed since you last saw me. I promise. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the occasional State of the Union broadcast of The Theocratic. I am House Speaker Theo. If you'd like to swear an oath of sincerity and humility, promising to funk the whole funk and nothing but the funk, please email me at theocraticpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Twitter and Facebook at theocraticpod. First motion of the meeting. All in favor of completely negating the opinions of ignorant males, whether they be stand-up comedians, presidential candidates, or Fox News anchors, who only use their platforms to dismiss, insult, and impress women, say aye. Aye! All those opposed? Wow, no one's opposed, so the ayes have it. You know what that means, guys? Looking at you, Trump and Pence, Kurt Metzger, every male Fox News anchor, get the fuck out. Excuse me. Excuse no, shut the fuck up, Trump. Get the hell out. I just spoke to everyone in this committee, and no one wants you here. Second motion, film emojis. I asked about this last podcast. I know that I'm a brand new podcast, so I'm not mad, but I will keep asking this until I get some responses, because I think it's fun. If you'd like to write a, come up with a brand new film title using all emojis, which I guess is what the film industry is going to do next, the whole film, whole film production with emojis. It's going to happen as the as emojis as the title. We can beat them to the punch. If you can come up with a cool new movie plot, and use and title it with only emojis, please Facebook or Twitter me, and we'll share them on the podcast whenever we get some. We'll keep asking until we do. Finally, you may notice that the first episode is no longer on the iTunes subscription feed page. I do apologize for that. Hosting podcasts cost money. I don't have that money yet, but I will. Until I do, what we're going to do is have archives of the previous episodes on a YouTube page, and I'll talk about that more in the next episode. I hope to have that set up for you. So until I get the podcast hosting, be patient with me. We'll have back episodes on the YouTube channel. Um, Next week, we're going to do the intro and kind of go through exactly what this podcast is going to be. Uh, But today, we've got Too Tall, a good friend of mine, who had uh, some things to share that are very important and very enlightening, and it was a great conversation. I'm excited for you to hear this podcast. Uh, the song you're listening to right now is Act Like You Know by Pete Rock and Steel Smooth. Please enjoy my conversation with Too Tall. Yes, uh, it's like that, 
right, joining us right now, we got Too Tall, a good friend of mine from work. How's it going, man? Good, good, and yourself? I'm, I'm glad to be on, and thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for, thank you for coming on. It's, we've been trying to get you on for a while. <laughs> yeah, I apologize, man. Scheduling is crazy. If you don't know Too Tall, uh, definitely check out, uh, you got a SoundCloud, right? Yes, correct, correct. You got a Facebook page at all? Yeah, I have a Facebook page at Too Tall, and I also have a SoundCloud um, at the same name, but AKA Adonis at the end for the SoundCloud. Um, I have a few songs on there, some of the, the beats I've produced, um, all of the songs I've, you know, kind of mixed and mastered. Um, I'm definitely looking for more exposure, so if anybody wants to check out some good music, wholesome music, um, it's not repetitive, it's not saying the same thing, uh, definitely go check me out, I really appreciate it. Definitely. I would say as far as, and this might anger some people, but as far as like rappers, I know you are definitely the best. And I'm not just saying that. So everybody should go check out Too Tall on his Facebook and his SoundCloud. Listen to his stuff. In the meantime, Too Tall and I have been talking about this conversation a couple days ago and I've been incredibly excited. Do you want to start it off since you were you kind of had the idea yeah so <clears throat> what i what i want to open um some people's minds up uh towards the idea of is the fact that um not only have a lot of us been programmed but we might not even know it so when you think of you know any type of situation um whether it's the news and terrorism whether it's um you know brutality or violence through you know, the police or the justice system, there's always been a line drawn. There's always been this line in the sand that more or less puts people on one side or the other, uh, as far as ideology wise, you know, as far as what makes sense for them or what makes sense for the, you know, the better group. And I just wanted to, I guess, touch on some of the, the fine points of that, because when you think about the country that we live in right now, it's a great one. It's nice. Uh, there's tons of things that I appreciate about it, especially when I watch, you know, the news and see other countries that are going through a lot of, of struggles and hard times. Um, I also see a lot of things that um, could make our country better and a lot more wholesome. So I guess let me explain that. When I when I look around and I see some of the laws that they've put in place, um, to me, it it's, it's so contradictive to to know for a fact for a fact to have you know testimony and 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 numerous you know dockets of evidence that the cia the our government you know the people that we pay our taxes to that we entrust with our safety um whether the situation is being dealt with abroad or locally these are the people that we trust we trust them with our children in schools we trust them with our you know bodies in hospitals we trust them you know from a lot of different aspects um and for that to be the case but you know now it's it's becoming more and more legal you know for marijuana and and other things but at the same time you have to understand that as a government as something that is is in control of a nation of people and a, a section of that government that is being paid for by taxpayers that is known to have done illegal things you know, in the sense of internationally and locally, and they still run. 
that's something that that not only bothers me, but I feel like people overlook it. You know, the same thing with, you know, police brutality after it happens so much or after you hear the excuses or all the theories of conspiracy, then it's kind of like, okay, I can kind of debunk this and keep it going. But when you think about that as a whole, that our country, you know, when you think about the 70s, when you think about, um, you know, the, the disco cocaine era, I don't know many that, you know, might have seen the movie Blow, but um, there's some accurate parts of that and some that aren't. But when you think about it, there are people that run our government that when they look at the balance, the, the justice of it, they say, hey, we have the wealth of the common people, the the greatness, the knowledge, the prosperity that we can be, or we have this back door that we can take and everybody in this room can get rich. And as leaders, as you know, somebody that is supposed to guide and nurture and take care of, you know, um, the the nation's children, I feel like they are failing us right now. I personally feel like when people say, okay, well, if you don't like it, then leave. Um, I was born and raised here. I am an American. I'm African-American, but at the same time, I was born here. So I do have pride. It's not that, you know, I'm trying to bash the government because there are parts of it that, that do help us. But for the most part, it is a, a shell game, even as far as, you know, the politics. How is it that somebody like Donald Trump, and I'm not trying to get, I guess, super political, but- Oh, we can get super political can, if you can, want. Can, okay, all right, thank you. Can, can run for president in a country when his wife was, you know, pretty much photographed in any provocative position you can think about. And this is the man that we're running that, you know, is up for presidency. So if you think about this and think if Michelle Obama would have been twerking in a video before um, Barack, you know, obtained the presidency, do you think he would be there? Do you even think he would be running? Oh, you know absolutely I mean? not. They and would completely tear him down for that. It is a it is a mockery of what this country has fought for to become for somebody like that um, to pretty much represent us. Because regardless right now if he's president or not, he's representing us. You know what I mean? People see the news, they see the racing, they see the GOP, and they say, okay, this guy is who America chose. And so as a whole, we have to understand that, like I said, a lot of things we're programmed as far as what we're thinking through the media, how we act, things like that. But a lot of it was was started a long time ago. And this is just the fruit of, of that seed or that tree that was planted a while ago. So I'll give you an example. When well, you think about... Well, real, real quick, I'd, I'd yeah, like to kind of just point out, um, I think it's sad that we live in a society where a you know say Michelle Obama like I wouldn't say necessarily twerking but if she was doing anything sensual or sexual that she wanted to do and felt comfortable doing that and Obama supported her in that they would still be looked down on we don't really oh, yeah. live in as a society that allows women to kind of express themselves the way that they want to without kind of being shamed which is oh, yeah. also horrible yeah, that, that's that's a bad thing that we deal with. And it's one of the more ignored things as far as women are concerned. And it, yeah, it definitely is a sad, um, a sad thing. But yeah, with so this, I, this example you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So so with that, when we think about 
um, the disenfranchised um, people of of you know America, and and with this I am referring to you know the African American communities. It's something where when people look at it, they see a group of lazy, you know, ignorant, illiterate people that have a, a culture or a sense of morality that is the reason why they're in that situation. And, or even and, more importantly, that their morality is horrendously different than anybody else's. Correct. Correct. I know people that, you know, would probably scare me if I didn't know them, but <laughs> would, would, would help you with your groceries, would help you change a tire, you yeah. know, do, do anything in their power to make sure that your day was better and wouldn't ask for anything in return, you know, but... Um, when you think about that demographic of disenfranchised, uneducated, um, you know, youth or, you know, adults who don't have a sense of, of worth, a sense of purpose um, or anything like that, it starts from slavery. If people if you say that that doesn't matter, get over it, that would be like saying that I'm going to, you know, send you out on an island by yourself and you have to come up with how to run it. But it doesn't matter that we put you there on the island. To me, it's saying, okay, if I'm gonna be a sheep herder, right, I wouldn't put my my pen with the back end of it open to a cliff, right? Because then, you know, whether it's by their fault or not, they could possibly fall off, whether they're, you know, bumped off or whether they just are curious and go off. It's a situation where where you're put is is what you're going to do or what's going to happen so when you think about that and you think about tulsa oklahoma where they pretty much bombed you know uh, a city of of entrepreneurs and pioneers that had not only seen enough but had taken action against it they had seen that okay we're not getting hired we're not getting loans from the banks to to get these jobs and to to do the the startup funds and the businesses that we want. So we're going to start doing it ourselves. At some point, that was looked at as a bad thing. And you have to understand that if I'm separate, that does not mean that I am not. And by that, I mean that if I'm a separate person, if I'm a separate human being and I separate myself from things that I feel like are causing me trouble, that does not mean that I think that those things are bad. It means that I'm trying to separate myself so that I can grow to be there. If anybody, you know, listening has ever been in a relationship, you know that some people need to grow in order to be in a better position. But they may need to leave the person that they're with or be on their own to have to, to go through whatever, you know, woes that might be. I, can, so I that, can definitely attest to that being the person who needed to go away and grow. Yeah, so. everybody does it. And so when you think about the black community, we there's a, a big deficit of drive of understanding even about the world around us you know like with me i wasn't taught in school or you know by my family really what taxes were i knew that you had to pay them i knew that sometimes they gave you money back and that's about all i knew and so as an adult i had to go through this gauntlet of different ideas and things that were so normal to other people but i was never taught and when I think about it, you know, and I think about, okay, well, how was my school? And I went to a school that was inner city and I was K through 12. So when you're thinking about that, there's, you know, high school, uh, you know, people, there's elementary kids. There's a lot of kids in one school. Um, when I went there, it was Principal Willis and, you know, very nice lady, tried her hardest, but it's a lot to handle. 
And when you think about um, the systematic lines that were drawn around certain areas, if if I, you know, were to go out, no matter how much money I have, there's certain areas that I would not be able to live in. Why? Because of the person that's there is going to say, hey, you're not right for this neighborhood. It's not a good fit. We don't want you here. The so I think like the and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I'm thinking of all these points. Like one of the biggest problems that I and it's kind of sad that I just realized this, like the powers that be or the powers that are currently in power right now have never really experienced any actual oppression. If we're looking at like Caucasians, whites kind of ruling the world and making the decisions, the most oppression that they really feel that I can think of is the attack on Christmas. And that's really about it. They have no idea what it's like to be marginalized simply from a perspective somebody else has based on a shallow, you know, I guess, prognostication of somebody's personhood. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, there's been oppression, there's been slaves before, but no slaves in history um, as far as a process of becoming a slave have been so degraded and so brought down. And, and what I'm saying is that there needs to be an uplifting. There needs to be a, a empowering. And even though it might seem like it's being very, um, uh, very biased and, you know, pointed towards a certain demographic, you have to understand that that demographic needs it that there are a lot of people out there that don't know that there are people out there trying to harm them, that they don't want good for them, that they have plots against them and don't even know it. And that comes from, you know, everything from the justice system to the pharmacy. Uh, I, I personally, you know, was on Paxil and who told me to take it? My doctor, you know, my doctor is, is a part of, to me, what I look at was a part of what I look at as a system that um, you don't know that might be holding you down. So when I went to this doctor, you know, I was a youth. I, I had, you know, little anger issues as a young man. So his his advice was, hey, he needs to calm down here. Take this. This is Paxil. It's the new wonder drug. And he made it even to me seem like a gateway to a better life. Now, in hindsight, what I see is someone that pretty much seen an opportunity to push a drug, make some money that really didn't care that, hey, I tried to commit suicide from it. And a few months later, lo and behold, on the news, it's like, hey, um, there is a side effect for this for young men ages, you know, 15 to 18 that, you know, has this effect on you. And so as a kid, it let me know that not everybody that is supposed to look out for you will. Um, and that comes from a family aspect, that comes from a friend aspect, it comes from a lot. And I mean, even you, I'm pretty sure you've had, you know, situations where, you know, somebody's supposed to do something or look out and they do the opposite. And it it, it always is kind of mind blowing or sets you back. But when you think about that, that person being the government, it's something that's hard to swallow. Totally, totally right. Uh, just to make sure that I got the story right. You were how old when you were subscribed the or prescribed? So I the was I was 13 at the time that I was prescribed it. 
and I believe it was about 15 when I was just one day I remember waking up and just literally just walking through the day feeling like I was just alone, like there was nobody else there. And it made me feel, you know, super crazy. Like, what was the point? I'm like, man, what's the point of being here? And so, you know, I had ended up going into, you know, the cabinet or whatever and just kind of took whatever and started throwing up, you know, started sweating profusely and ended up, you know, getting medical help. But even when they asked me, they said, you know, well, what happened? Why did you do it? I told them, I don't know. You know, so it was a situation where I and then you I came then you came home and found out that it's a known symptom to feel what you were feeling with the Paxil. Correct, correct. Wow. And, and with that, it's something that a lot of people don't think of, but when I say this, I'm pretty sure it'll ring a few bells. Everybody has been sitting at home and heard a commercial. Oh, if you have um trouble sleeping, take blah blah blah. Blah, blah, blah will, will help you to sleep at night. Blah, blah, blah will also give you a heart attack, uh, chest pains, stomach pains, diarrhea, nausea, uh, dementia, blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll go through that so fast. They'll go through that so fast while having the cutest animation up of some butterfly <laughs> that's finally made it out of the cocoon or something like that. And it's, it's, a, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that, okay, even as children, you know, you're bombarded with these different things, but, you know, as an adult, it, it only kind of gets worse. Things like that blow my mind when it comes to how we choose to solve problems, because the other issue with, especially when it comes to, like, antidepressants, I feel like a lot of people are trigger happy. Oh, this person's bummed, they're depressed, and so they give them something that's way stronger than they need, and without actually you know, putting forth due process, which, which by the way, I mean, if I could contribute any sort of like motif or theme to this conversation along with personal responsibility, I would also say due process is a big thing that we should be thinking about as well, because we have all these things set in place to like, we have all these steps that say what we should do. In most cases, a lot of places, we don't have those at all. But if we were more considered of the nuance, I feel like we would have much, you know, much more understanding and equality with what's going on. If it were, you know, much less about, like, a knee-jerk decision or something like that, then, I don't know, I feel like we would be much less ignorant as a people. Yeah, for sure. But with uh, to do do process, you have to have personal responsibility because I mean, going through and like figuring out exactly what's what and what happened, like in cases of police shootings, uh, not only do the police not handle things with correct due process, but as far as like the aftermath, they also don't have correct due process, and it's because they don't care, and. I've been hearing a lot about, and I'm sure you know about this too, the whole idea that empathy is kind of a, almost an evolutionary trait mm-hmm. in humans. And that to kind of unpack that, if no one else has heard of it, the a lot of people suggest and a lot of studies suggest that um, the empathy gap, it's sometimes referred to, um, is mostly because some people are simply born without the capacity to have empathy. Yes, yes. I'm a very big believer in the the left and right brain uh, or left side of the brain being 
uh, more logical and the right side being more emotional. And you have some people that cannot really understand where they are inside of that. And at the same time, you know, it's one of those things where some people are are very good at hiding it. So like you very, very glad you talked about, um, you know, personal responsibility because um, a lot of talk as far as, you know, police shootings, brutality, things like that are coming from an aspect of only seeing, you know, one angle. Um, I'll use, you know, Eric Garner, for example, you know, people say, well, he was illegally selling cigarettes. So when you think about that, to me, it's crazy that people will be okay with somebody that, you know, does a petty crime and, and gets hurt or gets, you know, over prosecuted or something like that. When the crimes that actually matter, the ones that, that, that really do us dirty as, as people, as a whole are, are never prosecuted. They're never looked at, but it's also a thing of when you're thinking about where the police are, like at least in my city in Grand Rapids, right? Um, downtown, is very close to the southeast side, which is um, looked at as, you know, kind of the hood or, you know, the, the barrio, whatever you want to call it, of, you know, Grand Rapids. When I think about that and I think of, you know, the fact that I constantly see police driving around, that I constantly, you know, see different, even though, you know, nobody might have called them there, you know, hanging out in parking lots, um, at schools, things like that. It's, it's almost a thing of, to me, of you, you catch fish where you place a net. So if the net isn't out, you know, in suburbia, isn't out somewhere that might not, you know, have the same demographic, then you're not going to catch the same people. Crime is done everywhere. But if you're only in the spot where, you know, you want to catch bass, then that's what you're going to catch. And so. And not only that, you should be looking for crime and not for people. Exactly. Exactly. Because when you, when you think about it, that is a, a big deficit as far as our police force is all the focus that does go on the wrong thing. You know, when I think about, you know, Amber Alerts and things like that, I think that that can always, you know, get more attention than, you know, following be like, for example, this was what, maybe two or three days ago, I was coming from downtown. Um, I had dropped a friend off and instead of taking a highway, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna take the scenic route. And I was driving a policeman followed me from downtown about um, Monroe area, right around kind of like Stella's or Van Andel around there and followed me to 28th Street. And to me, it's like, I'm not going to say, you know, that he was trying to be malicious. I'm pretty sure he ran my information. He's seen that I didn't have a warrant that, you know, everything was legal and he kind of moved on. But just in that general sense of being watched like that, the type of paranoia or the type of fence that that can build up, you know, as far as especially with everything else that's happened too. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, I look at it from an aspect of trying to, to understand that, Hey, these people sign up to, you know, come out in the streets, protect us. They get shot at, they get cussed at, spit on whatever the case may be. But that's kind of the same thing of saying that, Hey, this guy has PTSD and you know, he went over to serve. It's a voluntary thing. If you're not a, you know, patient enough person or understanding enough person or most importantly, a a more cultured person to deal with the neighborhood, the different, you know, demographics, attitudes, ideas that people might have about what you do, what they do, then 
to me, you're already at a loss. You're starting, you know, talking a different language. And if you think that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to cop bash or something like that, that's not the case. Like I said, I'm very um, in tune with with what's going on as far as that's concerned. Like when you think about the, you know, the evolution of the police and, you know, what they have have done, they have saved many of lives, you know, put out fires, uh, you know, save babies, things like that. But you also have to understand that in America, uh, around, you know, the whole country, it was a a thing to where not only, you know, if you see a black man, do you treat him badly, but you try to lock him up or better yet, kill him. And when you look at um, the different things that people have gone through, it's hard for me to think right now and honestly to appreciate it when you say, OK, you know, this person was attacked by dogs because he was caught in a riot, you know, walking home and he was mace beaten and taken to jail, you know, and now he walks different and can't play basketball, can't do anything. All the people that kind of got swept under the rug as far as, you know, the movements and the different things that we went through, it, it's kind of hard for me to look around and to see that that people still don't realize that it's something systematic. Because when you think about um, the original kind of uh, police or special task force, as far as, as that's concerned, they were original slave catchers. That was the original point of, you know, special police other than, you know, the ones that was the sheriff in the town that people would go to or jail the drunk guy or, you know, lock up whoever was fighting. And to me, it's harder to explain to somebody that when, you know, they haven't been punched in the stomach, when they haven't been lied on, you know, on the stand, sitting next to the judge by a police officer. You know, to me, that's the the frame of the justice system. And like I said, I was, you know, in a case involved in a case where a police officer pulled me over. He falsely arrested me. He, you know, locked me up and pounded my car. Upon getting out, I, you know, immediately sought, you know, legal advice. And I was told that this is a classic, um, you know, kind of case where they pretty much exert more power because of the fact that they just want to. And the the lawyer told me, he said, man, look, this is what we're going to do. We have to get the video evidence of you asking for a warrant to search your car, because that's pretty much what happened. He pulled me, me over, said he wanted to search my car because we were in a drug area or, you know, a high drug traffic area is from what he was saying. And seeing that I was just coming out of a business and he seen me do that to me is kind of like, hey, um, obviously, you know, I'm not trespassing, which is what he arrested me for. Obviously, uh, you know, that's what I'm he not, that's what he was the case he was trying to make that you were trespassing. Yes. Yes. So so to kind of go through this scenario, I was um, and real real team. quick bef before yeah. you before you get too far into this, I just want to re remind any uh, doubting, skeptical white people out there. If you are questioning what the what uh two tall's testimony is about to be remember the whole fbi snooping on martin luther king as far as like police being slave catchers and things like that the detroit riots were infiltrated by people wearing civilian clothes who are like part of the i think it was cia or fbi it was the actually it was the fbi and they interviewed people like black men of the detroit riots and specifically asked who their influence was, and they all said Martin Luther King because he was part of, you know, the freedom movement at the time. And then they used that 
considering the Detroit riots and what those men were doing and attributed it to Martin Luther King. So this is something, this all happened in 1968, I think it was, the Detroit riots? Mm-hmm. The six, the like late 60s. And so this has been going on for a while as if anybody has any rebuttal against the, you know, slave catchers as, as you know, police have been known to be. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that point right there. That that really does um, drive it a little further home. So, like I said, with this personal situation, I was um, going to Florentines. I had a friend who had, you know, a belated birthday party. As an adult, you can't always celebrate your birthday on the day you want to. So you say, hey, let's get together on the weekend, which is what I did with a few of my friends. Upon leaving the building, um, he, uh, the police officer was sitting behind my car and I noticed him, you know, I figured, hey, he might be here for something else. I'm not worrying about it. I got in my car and I went to drive. So he pretty much waited until I was a place where in a place where I couldn't legally park, which if anybody is listening, just a real quick point. If you are getting pulled over, try to get to a legal spot. So that way, even if they do try to arrest you, your car can still stay there legally and not have to get told. And, you know, you pay a grand or whatever you might have to pay to get it back. And he waited till I got on 44th Street, pulled me over and told me to get out of the car, which I, you know, asked him why, what was going on. But I still complied because, you know, I was trying to find out what was going on. And he asked me if he can search my person. Now, this is after I've handed him my insurance, you know, registration license, and he pretty much put it in his pocket and kind of went from there. So I instantly kind of knew that he more or less had an agenda. And so from there, he told me, hey, um, I've searched you. I know you don't have anything on you. You mind if I search the vehicle? At that point, I was pretty upset because I felt like not only was I getting targeted, but it was getting to the point where now, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, is this where he- You can't win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is this where he kind of dropped something in my backseat and then said, you know, because I've heard of that before too. So when I told him, I said- Everybody loves that family guy cutaway joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like officer down or uh, the other one where the robot leaves a gun by Cleveland while he's beaten you know, <laughs> by nightsticks. Like that joke comes from a real place. And just to tease, I've yes, got. It does, uh, and if uh, I, I want I, I want you to continue. But to tease when when you're done with this story, I've got another kind of rebuttal for anybody who might want to negate this. But continue. So. After, you know, telling him, hey, I'd appreciate a warrant that this isn't legal what you're doing. um, He I specifically remember turning back and a seeing a tow truck, a forensic van and a canine unit uh, vehicle that have, you know, the little cages for the dogs. So I'm like, okay, really what's going on? And so I realized that, you know, this was more or less a witch hunt and that they were looking for anything. So. I told the guy, I said, you know, what's going on? He said, look, this is what we're going to do, right? Like, like this is a, a, a common, you know, understanding that we're going to have. He said, um, you're under arrest for trespassing, which if I just came out of a business that is the parking lot that I'm leaving out of, that is impossible to be trespassing. I don't care. Especially what when he on. followed you too, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Especially when you were parked behind me and seeing that I came out of said building. But he he pretty much said you're under arrest for trespassing looked at his partner that at that point had the dog next to my car and said hey search the car so when that happened you know they didn't find anything he still locked me up 
So as I'm going to to fight this charge, anybody that has ever dealt with the court system know that most of the times police won't show up just because they they feel like they have stuff better to do, right? When I went to court for this, for a trespassing, um, you know, violation or charge, this man not only got on the stage, or on the stand, I'm sorry, and lied, but looked me in my face as he did it. So this is what happened. I came in a courtroom. They told me why I was there um, because with my lawyer, he had, had fought to get the evidence of the video, the audio video that had magically disappeared. You know, they couldn't find it anywhere, even though, you know, this is a state of the art vehicle, cost 50 grand, but they don't know where anything went in it. I said, okay. And he got on uh, the stand and the judge asked him what happened. So he told the story up until the part of where I asked for the warrant. And he said, that's when I arrested him for trespassing. The outburst that I had caused my lawyer to not only grab me, but to, you know, force me to sit down because I said he's lying. I, and I yelled it at the top of my lungs because, like I said, to see a police officer on the stand sitting next to a flag and the seal of Michigan and and a judge and he's lying on a person. That and if you want to talk about like cop bashing or being unpatriotic for being critical against things that are wrong in America, I think the most unpatriotic thing you can do is be a civil servant, stand next to a flag, swear an oath that you won't lie, and then lie in a courtroom. <laughs> I think that's way worse than anything I could say critical about cops or anything else. Exactly. And like I said, it 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 shows something to me that um, and and to finish the story, there is some redemption as far as the system is concerned. So as this man said this, you know, the judge kind of ended his session with him, called me up to the stand. And I'm at this point vibrating like my blood is boiling because <laughs> I naturally. I, yeah. You've seen movies, you know, where you have dirty cops, you've seen different things. Um, but to actually see it in front of me and have me deal with it. It was a thing where, hey, I, I realized, I said, okay, well, let me calm down so I can talk to this man and he understands where I'm coming from. So he asked me what happened. I told him, I said, hey, look, I came here for a birthday party. I left the parking lot. I got pulled over and arrested for trespassing. And he says, so, you know, as far as the, the vehicle and searching it, you know, what was the issue with that? And I told him no issue. I just didn't want him to do so because he didn't have a warrant for it. He did so anyway and then locked me up, which is a violation of my rights. At that point, the judge looked at me. He looked at the cop. He kind of gave him a, a disappointed look, if you ask me to, to decipher what it was. And he told me that he would have to convene and make a judgment and that he would contact my lawyer and let me know. So what I did was you know, I went home and I remember my lawyer calling me probably a few days later and saying, hey, look, the charges were dropped. You know, everything is OK, blah, blah, blah. This is after, mind you, I've bonded out of jail. I've gotten my car out of the impound. I've paid, you know, all these legal fees and everything. And at the end, I felt like a victory until I realized that when I opened my hand, all I seen was a loss. I'm like, man, this is not cool. Like, and it took a long time for me to even be trusting of people that trusted police because it made me feel like it was it was a, a yeah. bigger conspiracy than I could even think of because when I grew up, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where people didn't like the police. I was always more a person that would think what I wanted to think. So I met, you know, nice cops before and they talked to me and, you know, let me get in the car and everything. So I, I as a kid, I was like, okay, this can't be, this can't be all bad. 
But for that to happen, it showed me a big difference. And, you know, I'll just quickly go through a few other situations. You know, I was walking up the street. I seen, you know, one of my friends, you know, one of my like sandbox buddies, like from elementary getting stumped yeah. out by the police. So I'll run up to him. And I'm like, hey, you know, Jeez. what are you guys doing? The cop didn't say a word. He turned around and gut punched me. And for those people that might not know me, my name's too tall, um, but I'm, I'm a skinnier fella. So it's definitely <laughs> a situation that I folded up like a rusty lawn chair. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. And I'm just like, oh yeah. my God, like this guy just punched me. And what he told me was I better go home if I knew what was good for me. And so, which and, is some like, let's, let's stop right there. Does yeah. anybody remember the book roll of thunder? Hear my cry. Anybody at all? Did you read that? I did not, sir. You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to I've call heard me, of the sir, book. I have not read it. <laughs> you don't have to call me, sir. Especially after this discussion, I just feel like, uh, I haven't felt white guilt in a long time, but when you just no. called me, sir. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. No, that, that's kidding. a term for respect, man. I feel like it's no, a lost art as far as respect, and I try to give it to people all the time. No, that's fair. I'm just, I'm just giving you shit. But... Like, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is a book that I read in seventh grade, and it's maybe one of, like, the eight books out of my entire K-12 through career that I actually paid attention to in class. And it was about a slave family and just during, like, directly after slavery had ended. And I swear I've read that line, you better go home before you know what's good for you, at least a few times within that book. Oh, yeah. So that's haunt... That has to be, like, that's haunting for me to hear secondhand as a white person i can only imagine what that felt like in the moment it was definitely one of those things that like i said it was surreal um to to actually get punched by somebody because you know i would fight and you know i i knew how to fight you know i could handle myself but to not expect something like that and not even like hey you know i'm sorry it was more like hey you can get more of this if you don't get out of here. It not only made me feel bad for me because as a kid, I have to walk away and let my buddy continue to get, you know, roughed up, which I felt kind of less than a man for. But at the same time, it's like, what can I do? And I think that's the mentality of a lot of people. And they think, OK, man, they see the deaths of, you know, um, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, uh, all these different people. And they say, oh, man, well, they, they'll start to build a barrier in between them and the thought of it being wrong or or something that they can influence because, you know, there there's always the spark of an idea for for any big idea from a smaller one or for, you know, one person that maybe spread out to many people that became, you know, a more communal idea that we we have to wake up. And, and people say this. I've heard it even since when I was a kid that we have to wake up. We have to wake up. When I say that, we have to understand that um, when you're talking about, um, oh man, I'm so I forget his name right now. The gentleman that was that was murdered in the car with his daughter. Uh, I, he, I, I I don't know if I've heard about that one, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna try to look up the name real quick. Um, well, let me uh, while while you're doing that. Um, yeah. What. I'd like to remind everybody about when it comes to critique of the police and the police force, there isn't, like, we talked about 
personal responsibility and due process. There's really none of that, and it's definitely not uniform across all police forces. There has been Department of Justice uh, officials who have tried to rein this in and tried to do studies on it, and I will go ahead and post a link because a, wh uh, a while back um, they had uh, reported on a study that the Department of Justice was trying to do to get everything wrangled up, and the particular uh, news source that put this out was also trying to find information and couldn't, and was kind of just um, dismissed entirely. The police force is kind of uh, like the Old West right now. Everybody's kind of doing what they want to do, and <coughs> A lot of that has to do with their own kind of personal fear, and that's completely understandable. You go into a job like that, that is absolutely crazy because anything could happen. You know, it's one thing, like, it's very unfortunate when, like, the public or just random, you know, civilians become casualties in some sort of crime or shootout or what have you. But the thing that is, is hard to remember is that the police go into those situations every single day on top yes. of having yes. to do, you know, social work issues and, you know, calm down situations and de-escalate. Mm -hmm. They're doing way more than what the law enforcement should, and at the same time, they're still just fucking humans who are just as flawed as the rest of us. Exactly. And but at this and, and that's fair. At the same time, it shouldn't be a situation. I'm sure uh, you've heard about the recent report about the Department of Justice official who was following and kind of shadowing uh, Baltimore police force and they were in the back of the Department of Justice official was in the back of the car there were two other cops there was a sergeant and a, uh, another cop and the sergeant was saying to this group of you know black kids or black teenagers or just black people and said arrest the arrest them over there the cop had said they're what you know they're not doing anything what sh you know what do i arrest them for the sergeant said make something up and they did all that with the department of justice official in the back seat and this yeah. has been reported reported in multiple things it can be looked up like that's where the police force is there's lots of good cops there's you know there's many many bad cops um but they're all under the same system it's something like almost especially with how you know unorthodox all of the different policies are between police forces it's almost you know something to say that we should be even more grateful for a good cop considering that they're essentially doing it out of their own i guess drive to be a good cop considering all the things that they have to do you know deal with and the bad due processes that they have and the bad training on top of whatever perspective they personally have is the bigger problem and when we're throwing a lot of money towards military and a lot of money towards you know other things like you know that we don't need <laughs> when we could be throwing more money at social workers who can, you know, like in the case of the, um, what's, what was the guy's name who was caring for the autistic, uh, man who had his hands up and was laying down the street? Uh, give me one second. Give me one second. I'll find out. <clears throat> that, that, the police shouldn't have been involved in that situation. That should have been held by, you know, somebody without guns considering that there was an, you know, an autistic, you know, person present who was also in danger 
you don't add guns to a situation like that. That's something that somebody who's been trained for and went to college for and who knows, you know, psychology and emotional things and how the human psyche works and how handicaps work and things like that, who would have been much more prepared to de-escalate that situation. Correct. The man's name was Charles Kinsey. Um, And I I watched the video of it. It's absolutely appalling. And when you, you say that, you're absolutely right. I believe that there should be a a understanding that not all situations need to be, you know, addressed with a gun drawn. Um, And I know this might seem like I'm kind of making this up, but you know, I'm not when I say that I've had police pull guns on me as a child um, on the Northeast side, it was off of Buffalo and Page. I was, you know, playing with, you know, water guns with my buddies were running around their house. And I remember the police just burning up the street and he got out you know, went to open the door and he stopped literally right in front of me, went to open the door, had his gun drawn in one hand, his foot on the brake and went to put the car in gear, went to get out and the car actually kept rolling with his gun pointed at me. So at that point, I dropped the, you know, the the water gun and I'm like, you know, what's going on? He's like, drop the weapon. And even my friend's mom came out yelling like, hey, it's a toy. What are you doing? You know, and it's one of those things that I could have been a hashtag, you know, and not even exactly realized it. And like, and the thing is like, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, in intrinsically I suffer from too. A lot of people want to be like, well, if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. The thing that we have to remember when we're talking about social justice issues and this applies to, you know, women and homosexuals too. What would you do if you were a woman? What would you do if you were a homosexual? What would you do if you were a black person who was in that situation? I can't react the way that I would because they would handle me differently, and that's fact. And especially when we look at, you know, how many people get mad and overworked over stupid things. If you have a bad salad at a really fancy restaurant, so help you, you will get a bad bad Yelp review, and no one will hear the end of it. We need to start doing that when it comes to other people in situations where, unfortunately, they're at a disadvantage because of a shitty, shallow system. Mm-hmm, correct. And I want to steal something from, from Jane Elliott that, um, this is a, a direct quote from her, and anybody that don't know who Jane Elliott is, um, she is a, a teacher, an advocate for equal rights. Um, some people think she's a, you know, a self-hating person. I think she's just fully aware and disgusted. If you look at any of her videos, you can see it in her face um, very thoroughly. But the, the quote says that we don't need a melting pot in this country, folks. We need a salad bowl. In a salad bowl, you put in the different things You want the vegetables, you want the lettuce, the cucumbers, the onions, the green peppers to maintain their identity, to tell the difference between them and appreciate them. So when you think about that in a sense versus being a unilateral robotic, you know, um, country, what we can be is a country that that appreciates the differences. And I feel like one of the the easiest references for people to understand is food. Would you say that, okay, because I don't like Hispanics, that you've never eaten Hispanic food? Are you going to say that, you know, if you don't like, you know, 
people from down south because you feel like, you know, they may be illiterate or, you know, you think there's something you've never had, you know, slow roasted barbecue or some brisket or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where if you can appreciate one thing from it, you should be able to appreciate all of it. And I know there's, you know, a lot of people that think, okay, well, there's not much to appreciate in certain situations. There's in every culture, there's something at least that I find fascinating and something that I want to take away from them and say, Hey, you guys are cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, like that kind of touches on like cultural appropriation. I mean, find a white hipster who doesn't like childish Gambino. Right now. (laughs) And I, I am just as guilty of that. I'm looking at my childish Gambino vinyl right now. (laughs) <laughs> Donald Glover, who, if if you don't know, that's Childish Gambino's actual name. Donald Glover deals with that. And he only deals with that simply because he can't turn off being black. And that's fucked up. And it's a situation where we have to be so disgusted that we have to start looking at, like, if we're going to be, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a part of a culture. And you can do that if you're another, if you're from another culture, you can... T- take part in a other culture's music and you know books and works of art whatever it might be you know just be you know fascinated by the history and read up on that you can do that without you know making it something that it's not and that really just kind of comes with you know you really like people should really be like if i like this you know, entertainer who's of another race, then I should be more open, I should be more vocal about their struggles because they deal with it too. This favorite person of mine, you know. Right. And that's like that's that's a disconnect that we need to start making because it's affecting everybody. And if we try to take it on a more human level, like uh and and we'll we'll kind of wrap it up with this because it's it's kind of a funny story. Do you mind retelling that one story you told me about the kid who tried to give you the gun? Oh man, oh god. Okay, so because this and and the reason why I I want to I want to bring this up because this kind of speaks to the whole idea. Well, if they don't want to be a part of that life, then they should you know not be a part of that life and work their way out of it. The thing that I remember. Specifically thinking about that story was how did you know how did this kid get the gun and what is their intention? Exactly. So um, I forgot it was like a party store somewhere I was coming out of, and I kind of seen a kid hanging out before. When I came out, he's like, "Hey, you know," kind of like got my attention, and I was like, "You know what's going on?" He seemed first of all a little young to be out that late. And second of all... He was black too, right? Yes, yes, correct, correct. And it was just one of those things where, you know, in my head, I'm like, you know, what's going on? What do you need? And he just pulls out this uh, gun, like little, like revolver 38 or something like that. And I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, is he about to rob me? Or like, what the hell is going on? Like, at this point, I'm just kind of stuck. And he's just like, yo, I'm just trying to sell it. And in my head, I'm like, Dude, how old are you? Like, where are your parents? What's going on? Like, and how I old did he look? He looked maybe 12, 13, maybe. I was, okay. I would, I would lean more towards twelve. Um, by his, you know, body frame and you know, voice and everything, and it just made me feel sad because I didn't feel like I could go to him and be like, hey, let me get that from you. You don't need that. 
um, if he's trying to sell it for money. And at the same point, you, you think, OK, who did he get this from? Like, why is this a thing? Like, who's thinking like this to give, you know, this kid a gun? Because, you know, I'm not I wouldn't say a gun advocate, but I do own firearms. And it's something that, you know, I only keep, you know, around people that I can a trust and they're always locked. And, you know, there's never in the hands of kids. It's just like to to see that just kind of blew my mind, you know, on a different aspect. Like you said, personal responsibility. Where is this kid's parents at? Like, what's going on? Well, not only that, like, just I, I thought of it like there's it's a there's a double edged sword within that within that story, because you, unfortunately, as a black man, can't take that gun and try to dispose of it or turn it in or anything like that. Oh, no. Considering how, you know, biased the system is. And at oh, the no. same time, the kid could have been like, shit, I found this gun. I got to get rid of this. And is really just trying to like. There's the possibility of that too. Yes. And so it's what what's and I mean we don't really know the intention of the kid, so we can only speculate. But the possibility of it just being you know with you and the the kids' side of the stories, like both are just could be just trying to get out of a situation that they know that they're absolutely fucked in simply for having a gun and being black. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, because it it's, it hurts just like with the Philando Castile. I mean, the oh, man was God. in the car. He he owned a you know weapon legally. The he told the police, and instead of understanding that, and you know, like you said, de-escalating the situation. So saying, so hey, you mind if you know I could see the firearm? And I've had police ask for my gun. They take the bullets out and then continue the conversation. And then they, you know, gave me my gun back and said, don't load it until, you know, we leave. And I respected that. They left and, you know, I just went in the house. And I mean, that's that's a fairly reasonable response. Like, yes. I don't see how many people would be able to get mad at, especially when they gave you the gun and the bullets back. Like, yeah. that just removes that variable out of the question. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I can't I can't stand it like especially when if any, if anybody who you know has a concealed weapons license and I know I know a lot of people who do and most of them are white put yourself in a situation where a cop takes your gun and takes the bullets out and think about how mad you would be because I know mo most of the people that I know would not have taken that situation lightly. I'm not going to call anybody out because I don't really know most of them anymore anyway. They're just people I've known from life. If the best case scenario is that that happens for for you as, as a black man, is that they still take your gun, they still take out the bullets, and then have you load it, I cannot think of many people who would take that lying down. Mm -hmm. And most of those people are white. If we yeah. put ourselves in that perspective and be like, can you imagine if that happened to you and how you would respond? Think about that. They have, like, you know, the black community has to deal with shit like that every single day and they can't turn it off. You know what I mean? If yeah. you're a, if, you know, if you're a bad person and you're white, people have to figure it out. People automatically assume negative intention or malintent because you're black. And True. that's fucked up true well i think i think that's it's, it's been about an hour man yeah, is there anything I, else you anything else you want to say any 
you know, final statements? I just want to say I appreciate anybody that, you know, does listen because in today's society, whether you agree with somebody or don't agree with them, you still have to, to look at a different viewpoint just so that you know that it's there. If you don't know it's there, you really can't understand it. And so I appreciate anybody that's listening. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not a, a hateful person. There's nobody, you know, that I might have talked about that I necessarily hate. I do think there are a lot of uh, bad things that are going on that we do need to discuss and we do need to put out there. But I do thank you as well for, for having me on here, man. I appreciate it. Oh, dude, I want to have you on again. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We've got a lot to talk about. So there you have it, some food for thought brought to you by Too Tall. I want to thank Too Tall again for coming onto the podcast, and we'll be definitely having him on again multiple times, I hope. He's a good man. Um, if you'd like to check out his music, go to his SoundCloud. He also has a Twitter and a Facebook page. Uh, the name is Too Tall. You can go by uh, Too Tall Tech on some places, and we'll make sure that we got the links for you up on there. Uh, I do sincerely want to apologize for the delay on this episode. Um, We are going to be doing it every two weeks as opposed to every week. We're going to be doing that in place of the podcast hosting issue that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. As soon as I get that figured out, we'll have everything up and going. Um, Next week, we're going to be going through exactly what this podcast is, and you'll get a proper introduction to who I am, and hopefully you'll still want to listen. Um, Please tweet or Facebook or email your uh, film title emoji suggestions. Uh, We'll keep asking for that. Or I'll keep asking for that. I don't know why I keep saying we. There's nobody else here. It's just me. I mean, I pretend that there's a committee because, you know, it's a thing. But there's nobody else here. I'm staring at an empty room. Anyway, send in your film title emojis. Uh, I'll I'll ask for that. We'll make sure that we have other questions. I want to try to get some suggestions for this one first. Uh, Stay tuned. Next week for episode three, you'll get a proper introduction to me and the podcast. I hope you guys are all well. I hope you think about what Tootsal was talking about. Um, I hope you spread the love. I hope you spread the information. Um, Try to inform yourself. Anyways... On behalf of the committee and the Theocratic, I am House Speaker Theo. Thank you very much for listening. You are my favorite people. 